0: Hello there, and welcome to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast. I am your host, Michael Blank, and with me today is our co-host for today, Drew Whitson. What's going on, Drew? Hey, Michael, how are you? Yeah, so I want to talk to you about because we just had uh, recently had our, our tax returns done, and my gosh, uh, hardly any taxes on my tax return. How about you?
1: Yeah, same thing. I just got mine done. Uh, had to, had to put an extension on it, but one of the things I just love about being a real estate professional uh, is the fact that we can shelter uh, so much of my income from the tax and. Uh, Just one of the most amazing benefits of being invested in real estate is just how much incentive there is in the tax code for to do what we do. And the consequence of that is we pay almost no if any uh, income taxes at both the state and the federal level. It's amazing.
0: Uh, as a passive investor you get this K1 and you know you invest 100,000 or whatever and we you know return $8,000 of cash that you can go, you know, buy a beer with or whatever you want. And the, and then your tax return shows this giant capital loss on there and, and their CPA is like, "Oh, you poor guy. Yes, yeah, so sorry you made such giant losses." When and the fact, you know, fact is those are all depreciation losses, right? And it offsets other passive gains. Now, the real estate professional kind of it's kind of cool because it bridges the passive income with active income.
1: Yep. One of the uh, one of my investors, Michael, had an annual tax bill of 3 to 400,000 dollars a year. He was a very successful businessman, and after starting to invest with me, he took that down from 3 to 400,000 to 0. And he was able to do that because as he invested in our multifamily investments, um, we could use tools like cost segregation, which allowed us to accelerate some of that depreciation and push that forward. So we have those kinds of partners in place. And my investor, not only is he making money on his investment with me, he's also saving a tremendous amount of taxes that he has to pay every year. Now, does he like to be a real estate professional? Uh, he de- Well, it depends what kind of income you have. If you're a real estate professional, you are allowed to have some more, there's more rules associated with what you can deduct. However, if you are a passive investor, and you also have other profitable passive income, you can pair that against those gains. Um, and so some of the most successful people in this business might have spouses who are physicians who might get their tax returns or they're earning income through a partnership Uh, in the medical field. And so by being a real estate professional for one of the spouses and someone else that runs their own business uh, in a partnership, they can really pair that up to have some really powerful tax savings. Yeah, the real estate professional is something uh, super interesting to look
0: into. It is kind of a pain because you have to track your time, here's a certain number of hours you need to spend on real estate. But it doesn't have to be just you It could be your spouse. So for example, the spouse could uh, get the real estate license, it could be any real estate, they could be brokering, they could be doing lease ups. Really, the definition is fairly broad, but there are requirements for that. But in so doing, there are benefits uh, to that as yeah. well. So kind of a pain, but the benefits are, are are big. I have heard though, that the, you know, the risk of audit does go up a, a bit if you do that. Uh, but again, if you're tracking your time, you're keeping your records, it's a great, uh, it's a great way to go. So absolutely. You are in the money, keep as much of it as you can. That's right. Exactly right. So Today on the show, we have uh, someone who has quit their job, and, and I love this this particular guest, David Camaro, because he was one of our mentoring students, which is great, and we interviewed him about a year ago in episode uh, 185, and you can ter- you can uh, hear all about his backstory, how he got started, how he did his first deal and quit his job. Today, though, he's back because a lot has not only has happened uh, since that year he's gone, he's significantly scaled his business in many different ways. He's investing in his online thought leadership platform, but he's also joined us as one of our mentors, so we have a mentoring. Uh, organization where we mentor people that want to quit their job with real estate. And uh, he has not only done that, but he's decided to kind of give back. And that's really exciting. It's uh, it's really one of, of two, uh, Jeremy Lemire being one of them who joined our organization as a mentor after having gone through a program and, and quit their job. And that's super exciting to me, Drew. So I'm just really excited to get David on board. He's got a, a great background in management consulting. He's super educated. He's got master's degrees, you know, kind of like I do. And he's kind of throwing away on real estate. Oh, no but despite all that he's been you know he's a quiet guy drew when i when i first met him you know quiet guy and i just wasn't sure about david because he didn't really say much never asked any questions and then he just you know quietly crushed it and continues crushing it so he's super smart and he shares a lot of things that he has learned in his uh his years and and short time and and doing deals but also now he's got the benefit of working with many different students and he has a benefit of that so with no further ado let's get right in the show with
1: david camara you're listening to the Apartment Building Investing Podcast, where we'll talk about all aspects of buying apartment buildings with a special focus on raising money from others. And now, your host,
0: Michael Block, David, welcome to the show today.
2: Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me again.
0: I'm really excited about it. uh, Because yeah, we did actually have you uh, almost exactly a year ago, episode number 182, where we talked about your journey to financial freedom. And really, one of the main reasons you're back, besides being an awesome guy is that you've decided to (laughs) give back and teach other people how to become financially free. So you actually joined our organization as one of our mentors. And you're one of uh, two people right now that have done that, uh, along with Jeremy Lemire, who we interviewed a little while ago, coming full circle. Uh, started off uh, not having, you know, uh, not being financial free, going through our program and becoming financial free, and then coming back and giving back. So that to me is like super exciting because now we're not just helping one person become financial free, but now you're impacting dozens of people as well. So I'm really excited about that. But get us up to speed a little bit. Uh, what has happened in the last uh, 12 months or so?
2: Well, thank you, Michael. Yeah, I mean, it's been a very interesting journey to get to this point. And I mean, I, I am very grateful to your organization, but also just to many of the great people I've met along the way. So last year when we spoke, we were, we I think had just closed one of us one of our indications a 94 unit. Things are going really well with that. I think we just celebrated a year. Investors are happy. Things have progressed well. Um, since then, I've been looking at deals and continuing to try to find things that are competitive and would, would produce a great return for investors. Clearly with the recent pandemic situation, that's been challenging. And I think at some point we had to take a step back and see what's, what does this all mean? But we're working on a few other deals at this point. Um, found some really good, good things that we're excited about. I'm um, looking to close soon. Um, working with more people, more people are very interested in finding out how, like my journey and how, what what brought me here. And specifically, as I have more conversations with people, I think what I've been able to kind of see a theme about is a lot of people just work really hard, right, and don't have a a roadmap to, hey, how do I accelerate my growth? How do I really get to financial freedom? Some people don't believe it's possible, some people do. But one thing that I have developed along the way is this thing called the personal cash flow formula. A lot of my, I guess, audience is Business executives business uh, business type people that are consultants, uh, people I used to work with they're high income earners and oftentimes I think they 're faced with the same kind of problem I was faced with, which is they don't control their time right and so this is kind of my journey relived in that when I started out, I was looking for a better way to control my time and spend more time with things that are more important to me and I think the personal cash flow formula resonated with some of those people It was basically. Business people understand cash flow as it relates to business, but if you translate that back to your personal situation, how do you do that? And then how do you get there with a passive income through real estate or really any other asset that you can invest in that gets you passive income? So I've been focused on that. And then, of course, most recently joining coaching and again, through speaking to all these people and seeing that there's a lot of need for people that are in similar situation. I think um, I get tremendous amount of pleasure from speaking to people and helping them understand how they can solve the problems that they're facing through coaching in your program. Um, but also I guess the third thing would be as I embrace this space, I really am enjoying myself. I'm I'm spending a lot of time with people I love and and meet new people that are interesting. Um, I definitely am looking forward to building a platform to disseminate the knowledge that I've gained, right? I mean, I think we have been very lucky. I think all of us here came through various paths and were able to understand and learn about financial literacy and how important that is to our personal situations. But I think this is not taught enough and being able to help people with, Hey, this is, this is, this is actually very, very possible in, in this country, right? As immigrants, you come here, you have high lofty goals and some of us that make it, I think it's our duty to kind of disseminate that knowledge and make things easier for people. So I am in the process of building a platform, which I'm very excited about. I think things are going really well and I'm really Looking forward to see where this is in another year.
0: You know, you you talked about making people believe it's possible, and I I sometimes find that that's what's holding people back. The people, the reason that people don't take a next step is they don't think they can do it, they don't believe they can do it, even though people have done it around them. You know, what do you think? uh, What helps people believe that they can do something?
2: It's a really good question. I think ultimately it's knowledge, right, or the lack of knowledge, right? I think. A lot of people have limiting beliefs and and those stem from various things, right? Upbringing, background, where they grew up and what opportunities are available. But some of them are just things that they falsely think are true. And I think that's where knowledge is very important. I think if you learn that, hey, actually getting a loan on a property that's over a million dollars is easier than getting a loan on a personal house that's $100,000. I mean, that's very powerful, right? That's something that not a lot of people know. If you can understand that through various strategies and depreciation, you can avoid paying taxes or you can you can minimize your tax burden right legally. There's so much in the in the news about this right now with I mean, right or wrong, whatever part of the political landscape you're on. But, I mean, people that invest in real estate know that, yes, real estate is just set up in a tax-advantaged manner for investors and for people. The government encourages you to own real estate in this country. So just knowledge of how to handle your personal finances and knowledge of what is possible, I think, is is very, very moving. I mean, there's definitely a part of this, too, which is personality, right? If you are not a person who wants to go out and find new things and learn new things, um, discover things that you didn't know about, or ask questions that haven't been asked before, then you'll be a bit at a disadvantage. But I mean, you can still do it. I think knowledge is the most important piece of this.
1: David, you talk about educating your investors. Obviously, the COVID world is scary, right? There's eviction moratoriums. How has that changed the way you have spoken with your investors about the risks and benefits of real estate?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great question. So when when the virus first struck, when the pandemic first happened, like many people who have raised money and have investors, our original response was, Hey, we're going to take a very conservative approach here and actually reach out to our investor base and say, guys, we will most likely not have a distribution this quarter. Um, and that's what we did. And, um, again, just being proactive and being very upfront with investors, we said, here's why we're doing this, right? We don't know what this looks like in another six months. Um, but we want to be upfront and be very communicative with you. So there's no surprises. And we would rather conserve cash so that we can pay the mortgage down the road if, the, if it comes to that. Now, frankly, I think we, we heard, I we had questions back from two people that, were, that are in our investment community. Two of my investors came back and said, well, um, how long do you see this playing out and what should we be planning for? None of these were difficult questions. These were things that we had to answer. And I think that was the right thing. As things progressed and rents came in, I mean, we basically told our our investors that actually things are looking up and good and and we will make the the distribution for that quarter. Now, that was kind of like the first jolt that we received. And I mean, interestingly, I think one thing that we all have learned is within the real estate space, right? There are so many segments of real estate. And I think a lot of people just hear real estate and it's like, oh, well, things are bad and New York is 40% empty and nobody's gonna get paid. I mean, within real estate, I think what apartment, investors have learned and what everyone's really learned is that I mean even when management consultants and business people don't travel and don't stay at hotels as much anymore even when we don't go out and eat at restaurants anymore right or severely reduced even when people work from home and don't go to the offices anymore people still have to come back and find a place to sleep and put their head on their pillow and that is extremely powerful so people do still pay the rent despite all the eviction moratoriums so that has been a very powerful thing um, within our portfolio, we've had clearly. I mean, some people. When you get when you reach a set number of units, you'll have some people that take advantage of the situation, but they've been very few and far between. Um, most people have been able to be very upfront with and say, "Hey, guys, this is what's going on. Here are the rules. Um, clearly, we can't evict you, but we'd like you to pay if you can." And most people have been paying very, very well. I have had groups reach out to me that I never knew about that basically came back to me and said, "Hey." we are an investment group out of such and such university, and we have an endowment that we invest in real estate. Because of the current situation, we are looking for apartment investment opportunities, and we would like to consider you. I mean, this is something, I mean, and they they basically come out and say this, we typically have a much more balanced portfolio between office space and retail and others, but right now, multifamily is the only space that actually has been paying out 90% plus of rent collections. So, I mean, I guess that's some of the education, some of the discussion that I'm having with investors.
1: Yeah, the the, the multifamily real estate asset has really arrived as a very resilient asset class. How has that impacted your underwriting as you look towards not just managing the deals you have, but what have you been doing in terms of changing how your underwriting is going on the deals that you're looking to do?
2: Sure. So definitely, we don't know when this ends, right? I mean, I think everyone is bracing for a second wave, especially Europe right now is being is seeing more lockdowns and, and things are again spiking as the weather gets colder, as people go back to school, et cetera. The approach we have taken at least has been, we want to make sure that we are, uh, I mean, everyone says this in the underwriting, conservative, right? And, but, but what does that really mean? I mean, for us, it means that as we look at any, any projects we're looking to get involved with, we're looking at not, projecting any rent increases for the next three years, right? Or if there are any, they're extremely minor. So typically, typically rent increases have been between two and 3% a year on average across our portfolio. But I mean, we are writing 0%, 0% rent increases the first year, maybe 1% the following year maybe 2% the following year, depending on where we're looking. Um, that's one. Two, in terms of the kind of debt that we're looking to take on, we're definitely taking on longer fixed rate debt. and I think I'm a bit unique in this, in that one of the deals that we're doing, we actually considered a HUD loan because, I mean, HUD loan rates are extremely low. I think the the deal that we're working on right now will actually get a rate below 2.5 percent, something like 2.4 percent, because rates were at 2.14 plus the MIP was 0.25. So I think we're looking at a 2.39 interest rate for 35 years. I mean, that's that's ridiculous, <laughs> ridiculously low rates. But what that does is it protects our investors, right? In that we know that the rate is fixed for a long time and it's a great rate. So again, that further helps us with what we think we can deliver. I'm sure it's, a, it's a definitely a longer hold period potentially. But again, with the COVID situation, one thing that we have told our investors is where we could maybe do five-year holds and, and, and such in the past, we would like our investors to be ready for longer hold periods. If we can get them earlier, we would. But that's one of the things that we're kind of having conversations about.
0: So, you know, you're working with students right now and and, a lot, and you're probably getting the same questions that we're getting, uh, is now a good time to do all this stuff? Or should I maybe wait on my hands a little while longer while it, uh, I was going to say cool off? What is your advice to your students who might be, you know, concerned about uh, the market timing?
2: Yeah, um, I, I get that question both with, with students as well as with investors I speak to. And I think it's one of those questions that, I mean, you'll always get regardless of what the timing is, regardless of where you are in the cycle. I mean, the truth is no one can really predict where the cycle is and how quickly it develops and where it's going to go. I think the good thing about the real estate space is it's frankly a lot less complicated than many other investment vehicles. And you can add up expenses and rents and and mortgage obligations, debt services, debt service obligations, and and you can pretty much see where you are. I think the big piece that you can't do well is the appreciation side. You can't really predict our cap rate's going to contract or expand. And so we don't try to do that. I mean we basically tell I tell my students like, hey, plan on having the same cap rate when you buy as when you sell, right? And that's that's what your program kind of preaches too, which is I think a great assumption. You you really don't know where it's going to go. If anything, you wanna be more conservative on the exit than than where you are now. But make sure that the cash flow works. And that's the most important thing. I mean, in business school, right? Everybody tells you that timing is everything and nobody can really get timing, right? I mean, I've really taken that to heart. I mean, Drew, you know, you're, you're a professor as well. So, so I mean, it's one of those things where, sure, if you are lucky and you can time it right, I mean, all the power to you, but i have yet to find somebody who can do that predictably. So I really don't worry about timing. I mean, it's one of those things, right, where I can't worry about things that I can't control and I can worry about the things that I can't control. So again, it comes back to the underwriting And the deals you choose to do, make sure you are picking deals in micro economies or micro geographies that have job diversification and and have multiple industries in those areas. Make sure that you are underwriting it in a way that if things were to go poorly, you're still able to make money on this. And that's really what we teach.
1: Underwrite to cash flow. What, when you, your story reminds me of when I first started getting into this business, the first assets I were acquiring were purely based upon cash flow, right? it would say, what can I get based upon the amount of capital I can get in? And I remember specifically people saying, wait, why, you're investing in real estate? Real estate's a terrible deal, right? Why would you want to get into real estate? Housing's crashing. Um, and the response was because we underwrote it for conservatively. We underwrote it for cash flow. Uh, and the value of my return wasn't based upon appreciation. It wasn't based upon the things I couldn't control and the things that we could forecast. So when you talk more about with this with your students, how do you help them get to that first conversation with their investors? Uh, and so sort to of think about to your experience of when you moved out of doing deals with your own capital um, into deals with your new investors, how do you help them have that conversation these days when around you, you sort of see the kind of risks that we see in the market?
2: Yeah, no, that's a great question. That's a question that students get, and really anyone who's trying to raise money gets, right? I mean, so and there's, I think, again, back to our original question as to what do people need. I think people need education and knowledge. So the knowledge that that helps here is understanding that with the real estate multifamily asset class that we're looking at, there's really two components to your return, right? One component is the cash on cash return, which is I mean, plainly speaking, it's, it's the profit for that year after you're done paying all your expenses, right? So the kinds of deals that we teach students to invest in are those that once rents come in and we assume a certain amount of vacancy and, and non-collection, if, if anything, and all the expenses come in, which with large numbers, you can predict pretty closely where you will be, there's a certain component left over, which is distributed as cash flow which is your annual return or your cash on cash return, right? If it's a REIT, if you're in a REIT, that's your, typically your dividend. But essentially, this is your return. Typically, with, with properties we look at, we look at something between 7% and seven and 7% in cash on cash return. And again, that if you think about it, right, that return goes up as time goes on, as rents go up. Now, so that's just one part of your component of your return, right? The second piece is that appreciation that we just talked about. So when you go and sell that asset, in five years or six years or three years or 10 years, the expectation is that if you have indeed operated this asset well, you're driving the value of the asset through the bottom line, right? The, the NOI, which is your essentially proxy for EBITDA for all the business people out there. So if, you are, if your building is generating more cash, you're essentially a much more valuable asset, which is where multifamily diverges from single family, right? So with single family, you're really, your, your asset is valued based on the neighbor down the street and what their house sold for with multifamily, you are in the driver's seat where you actually control the price of your asset, namely by running it properly. If you can raise rents a little bit and you can drive costs down a little bit over time, your NOI goes up, proxy, your EBITDA goes up. So your business slash your building in this case is worth more. So the conversation that I teach students to have with potential investors is we are actually in control of both of those pieces of the return. For the first part, it's, having the right investment in the right place, conservative underwriting, but also having a reserve budget for when things go wrong. For the second piece, it's about when you are in this whole period as the, quote, asset manager of your property, doing all the right things that will drive value in the property. And so while you can't necessarily predict all of that to a T, it's the case that with real estate, you can make a bunch of mistakes and still make a ton of money on it. And so that's the conversation that I teach my students to have, which is there are many ways to win and for the two primary sources of the return that, we're, that they or we are promising or looking at, those, return, those returns in the underwriting have to pass a certain hurdle, but also explaining those to investors makes investors a lot more open to looking at this asset class.
0: Yeah, a good discussion piece to have with your investors. And, and you, you're you shining a light on forced depreciation is exactly that forced appreciation. Oh my gosh, before we could have some waiting on rent increase, or maybe a compressed cap rate or whatever case and that all helps buoy things up. And now the only thing we're left with is forced appreciation, I don't need rent growth. To make deals work, okay. I don't need cap rates to compress to make the, the rent uh, to make the numbers work. I'm just going to go in and I'm going to force the appreciation. And why can I do that? Because the rent's a hundred dollars below market based in the three comps across the street. Even better, like the deal we have on the contract right now, it's a self-comping property. My favorite. Basically, within the same property, it already has ten of them out of the 150 that are at our target rents because they renovated them and they filled them up. I love that. I don't even have to go across the street for that. So I don't need rent growth. I don't need Compressed cap rates. I just need to be able to force appreciation, and I love that. So, so while collections is is a potential issue, it always is an issue. Okay, and we're just dealing with things. For example, with cash for keys, that to, to and it's more work on on our part, but the results are exactly the same. Uh, but that's the thing. So people always ask about coronavirus, this and that, and the other thing. And yes, it's something that we have to pay attention to, and we have to adapt, as you're saying. So the force appreciation. That's exactly right. That's what we're going to focus on right now. Let me shift a little bit, uh, uh, David, here, because you've been recently, uh, you've, um, you're participating in our platform builder incubator program where we kind of teach people how to build an online thought leadership forum to scale your your business. Why, why is that something? Why are you investing that right now?
2: Uh, yeah, I mean, I think if I were to, so basically what happened is I took a step back, right? And I, I looked at where I was, right? So I have a management consulting business. Um, I'm partners in an IT consulting business as well and i um, doing the investment in real estate thing and thinking at where would I want to spend my time and what I enjoy doing. I mean, I clearly enjoy doing the real estate thing, but I also feel like I serve a lot more people and I make a bigger difference in people's individual lives by doing this. I certainly have a great network of people that are high income earners. And I mean, I, I think for the next probably five deals, it wouldn't be an issue, and even ever increasing deals, I could still go and, and talk to people that haven't invested with me before. I think of, of the deal we're doing now. I think only eh, about half the people in it are are people that invested with us before, and about half the people in you. So the reason I I invested in building a platform is, I think you covered this on a on, a, on one of your podcasts not too long ago as well. You really have the option of attracting people that you haven't met, right? People that are outside your network. And I think really it doesn't matter how many contacts you have that that have a certain capability to invest. At some point, if you are really doing this business at scale, you will run out of those people, right? Or they, those people would run out of the cash that they can put into your investments. And so really kind of just thinking forward and looking forward, I felt that it was a worthwhile investment in, in myself and my platform. And frankly, being able to serve more people to tell more people about the personal cash flow formula that we've developed, to help more people, not necessarily just say, well, real estate is the is the panacea out there. I did pretty well in in stocks myself before I transitioned, before I kind of said, well, yeah, I can't really eat the appreciation from stocks. I have to wait another twenty years to turn 60 to actually access that cash. I don't want to wait 20 years. All right. So I mean, stocks are a perfectly good investment vehicle. I'm not saying go sell all your stocks, but I'm saying there's this other thing out there that actually generates passive income that you can eat now and you can over time if you invest diligently enough use to replace your current income. And I've actually talked to people that have done that. I mean, I, I had a friend of mine who, I mean, through just good investments, had accumulated like three million dollars in a retirement account. He's forty-five and he's like, Well, I really hope that I can like keep this going for another ten years so I can retire by fifty-five. And I'm looking at this now like, wait, no, like you're done. Like you have three million dollars in assets, like Go, go find whatever investment vehicle you want. I don't really care mutual bonds, whatever that can get you. I don't know five to eight to ten percent return a year. You're done. Like you. So it's just really being able to reach people and and help people think through some of this. Because again, I mean, if you think about it from the government's perspective, right? The government incentivizes us to own real estate, but the government also incentivizes people to work till they're about sixty, right? Hence why the retirement uh, regulations are you you are penalized if you take assets out of your retirement accounts. Unless you're over 59 and a half. So that makes sense from the government's perspective, right? They're focused on GDP and whatnot, but I mean, individuals are focused on what do we want to do with the rest of our lives if we have achieved a certain amount. And so, back to your question, I think the platform builder program, I think, first of all, is structured very well. I'm an IT guy, you're an IT guy, Michael. I figured that, well, just like I figured with the mentoring program, I figured that I could probably fumble my way through the, like, the mentoring thing on my own and go make a bunch of mistakes and in five years, I'll probably know how to buy an apartment building properly and not make those mistakes again. I did the mentoring program because I thought it accelerated my growth. The platform builder program, I did for exactly the same reason. If I wanted to go and pick a platform, HubSpot or something else that could get me a lot of analytics on IT visitors to my site and how I, how I structure this, I could do that. But it'd probably take me another year of part-time fuzzing through it and I felt like this was already kind of custom tailored to people that are in this space, which I am. And I figured that it's, it's a, it's one of those ways to leapfrog the learning cycle and just get there quicker. So I guess a long convoluted answer in saying, I invested in, pl- in building a platform because I think it's what I want to do. But I also think it accept- like the, the way that you have presented it, it accelerates my growth and, and makes things much more simple.
0: So part of the platform, there's a lot of tech involved, right? And so in the platform uh, program, we actually implement the tech for you. You don't have to, you just have to, we give you the car uh, and then, you know, you just got to drive it as a lot of tech but it's also at the heart of it uh, it's, it's it's a lot of content and a lot of people are uncomfortable in producing content they've never had to produce content maybe they did in school okay back in the day when they had to write an essay and now we're asking you to guy to write a blog post a lead magnet in some video how did you feel about producing content when you started and how do you feel about it now and what's your plan for uh producing content consistently
2: yeah no it's a good point i think i think a lot of people struggle with the content piece right because it's unnatural, right? It's not something that people do. It's not something, I mean, unless you're like, I mean, our teenage daughters, right? They are out there on TikTok and whatnot doing their thing. I kind of made a joke with my daughter. I said, Hey, you're going to be my TikTok video producer or something. She's like, Oh, that's cool. So it's not a, it's not a natural thing, right? You kind of have to stretch yourself. It's uncomfortable. I feel like I'm fortunate in that I've always loved writing. And so, I mean, My plan for content creation, at least to start, would be writing a bunch of blogs on things that I feel passionate about and things that people keep on asking me about. I feel like that's accessible and easy for me. I think the, I personally like the podcast medium quite a bit, actually. And I I got into podcasts, especially when I was traveling a ton for my consulting gig and for my personal consulting. And also, I think podcasts are very accessible when you like go for runs, if you're a runner, if you exercise on your own kind of thing. So I like the podcast medium. I haven't quite decided if I will do that more seriously. I did go out and get one of these fancy, nice microphone things just for fun. Nice, but I mean that's a plan. To start, it was again the writing piece. I'm very comfortable with. Um, as a as a consultant, you write a lot of kind of marketing type material and decks, and sometimes they have to be very compelling, right? Which is which is good. I guess we'll see where
0: this goes. It's it's a little bit like a citizen an unnatural act. And what I I just love watching you guys that come through this uh you know, this this program because you come in I'm not a writer. I hate the way I, I look on video. I don't like the way I sound on podcasts. And there's this resistance to all this content production and almost almost without exception, by the time we're we're done, you guys become content producing machines. And I think it's in you alluded to it earlier, you kind of figure out you actually have a message. you literally are serving an underserved audience that all they know is investing in the stock market. And I think when that happens, it really encourages someone to produce content. Uh, even the, the other shout out to Spencer Gray, who was like, uh, you know, I don't, I'm not, he's kind of a quiet, you know, and he put out a video and he, he talked about his first video he put out and he goes, it sucked. It was the worst video ever. And then someone responded back on social saying, this is great. Thank you so much. This is exactly what I need. And he goes, like, I can't believe it. The video completely sucked. And somehow it's, it, you know, it's, it serves somebody. And so he was really encouraged by that. And that's, you know, when that, when that happens, it just kind of keeps you going because you realize that you're serving somebody and without that content, you're not serving that someone. And, and so I think it's really great. And uh, you've really embraced it like you, like you always do, which is awesome. So what's kind of next for you? David, moving forward,
2: doing a bit more deals, a few more deals, getting a few more investors, talking to a few more students and getting to go. <laughs> just a few and, more just a few more like <laughs> like uh, just a few more, focused on the next kind of six months to a year, and then we'll see from there, but i mean really i'm I'm extremely excited about how things are going. I mean, I'm talking to people I used to work with, and I mean they're still kind of doing the daily grind and traveling with kids and through covid and it's just. I mean, it's, it's, it's difficult. I mean, I, I would say it's, it's not an easy world out there. And I think also, I guess one of the things that does strike me, right, working with a lot of business people, a lot of business owners, I mean, there's many paths to wealth in this country, right, or really anywhere in the world. And I feel like a lot of people that work so hard should be able to keep a bit more of what they work for. And I think real estate is a good way to do that. So I'm excited about teaching my students to go do this and and do it more often, and it's very rewarding to see people that you start talking to that have all these questions and uncertainty, and then in a few months they're much more certain of themselves, they're much more confident in how they approach the market and how they approach the space, and then in a few more months they they close their deal, and you're like, wow, this is this amazing, it's very it's very very fun to see that. Um, But also I'm very excited to, I mean, help some of the folks I used to work with, um, people that I've met through various sources. That, I mean, don't even ask me a ton of questions. They're like, "Hey, we really trust you. Can I can I invest for my brother? Or can I bring my my sister or my family member in? Or can I introduce you to my friend?" Um, because, I mean, the cash flow component of real estate is very powerful. Which I think a lot of people with investments just don't consider the cash flow aspect. I had to explain it to somebody like, "Hey, so no, you can't reinvest your cash flow distribution back in the building because we've already bought the building. This is a perfect time for you to take that and go." Buy a stock at the six to eight percent that you were doing beforehand. But if you actually think of that return, right? So if you think about if you think about the return of hey, here's your daily ca- your your cash flow distributions annually for the whole period. But you take year one's return, go throw that in the, ca- in the stock market at whatever eight percent return. Let's say, I mean that return is much higher than the actual return, right? Because we don't really think about it that way. Because when we, when we give people their money back and we distribute money, they can go do whatever they want with it. But if you really are comparing it apples to apples to the stock market. You actually need to reinvest that money to actually have a side-by-side comparison.
0: All right, David. Parting advice, you have all your students in front of you in a giant room. What are two or three things that you want to say to them?
2: Oh, I want to say so much. I guess three things. One, (laughs) you have to start. I mean, start and do something. Go buy something, something small, something you can afford, something you can raise money for, right? I think a lot of people have the question of how big of, a, of an asset should I go buy? And I, I mean, my response to that is, I mean, it's what you think you can do. If you have your own money, go out and do it. If you have the capacity to raise some money, you're probably limited by how much money you can raise, but buy something, start. Don't sit and do nothing. Don't don't read the next book. Don't listen to the next podcast. You need to actually get off and go do something. I think too, what I wanted to bring back is A few episodes ago, you talked about your health crisis and how that made you rethink your priorities in life. And really, how would you be living your life if you had a scare or if you knew that you only had X amount of time to live? I think that was a very powerful episode. And for anybody who hasn't listened to it, I'd I'd encourage you to go back and listen to that episode. Michael talks about a personal health scare he had, which kind of had him rethink what he was spending his time on right and whether he was spending his time on the things that were truly important and i think i think one of the reasons i do this for sure is i want to be able to impact people that way where the things that we teach even minutely if they can help them in their personal lives and their their families and their loved ones i think that's very powerful so i'd say the second thing would be make sure that you are prioritizing the important things in your life i think there's a consulting matrix out there which is Important on one side and uh, immediate, right? So uh, something that's urgent and important and something that's you basically have a, a quadrant of important and urgent and non important and not urgent. you want to make sure you're working on the important and non urgent things because those tend to fall off, and that's very important, but also don't wait till you're sixty to live your life, right? Make the decisions today to make sure that you do spend your time with the people that you really care about so I think I'd say those are the two things. Um, a lot of people asking me in terms of students, a lot of students asking about how do they get access to deals, right? That's, that's a question that comes up a lot with newer folks. I think you get access to deals whichever way you can. I think you, you hustle, you talk to brokers, you go on LoopNet, you go on frankly Realtor.com. I found deals there that I never thought I'd, I'd see on there. Just talk to a lot of people, but you need to find a way to start. Um, just start somehow.
0: Love it so much. Hey, just been great, David. How can people uh, connect with you? Sure. Um, our website is
2: com. That's C-A-P-E-S-I-E-R-R-A capital.com. And while you're there, check out my ebook. It's called The Personal Cashflow Formula. So um, this is the ebook where I talk about how you transform kind of your, how do you, how do you look at your personal picture from a income and expenses perspective? And how do you make sure that you put yourself on a path to financial freedom. So go to com slash cashflow, and you can get our free ebook there. I hope that'll help you.
0: Yeah, it's a great freebie you guys came up with in the Platform Builder program. So nice job shouting that out. Check it out. Dave, thanks so much for being on the show.
2: Thank you very much, Michael. Thank you, Drew. It's great to talk Thank you, to David. you guys
0: always. Thank you. So if you believe in mentorship and it's something you value because you want to accelerate your goals, Uh, you want to put what they call bumpers around some insurance policy that you avoid some of the bigger mistakes Check out our mentoring program. We're really super proud of it. It's at the michaelblank.com/mentor. In fact, we guarantee results. We guarantee that you'll do your first deal, or we'll keep working with you until you do. And we can do that because we've helped so many people, and we kind of figured out the game plan, the blueprint to get people into their first deal. And certainly, David, uh, it was a product of that. And now he is one of the mentors giving back. And you can check out uh, more about that at the michaelblank.com/mentor. And if you think it's for you, then schedule on uh, schedule a call and have a strategy session with us to see if mentoring is right for you. Uh, Drew, what kind of stood out for you in a conversation with uh, with
1: David? You know, one of the things that he really emphasized to his investors and to his students is that the value of real estate uh, is within your control you have all the ability to control the value of it because you control uh, the amount of investment you put into it by raising rents, managing these expenses. So uh, despite what is happening in terms of the single family home prices going up and down, despite what's happening with COVID, we have so much control over the value of these assets that they're not subject to the same kind of risks that many people actually think they, they, they could be.
0: That's a very good point. And that stuck out for me as well, because there's so many uncertainty going on. And if I were holding single family houses right now, you know, in any market, I'm like, well, I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen. And I don't control it either way. And we actually have a high degree of control over commercial real estate. And that is a key takeaway from today as well. The other thing that he said is, you know, a lot of times people don't believe they can do something. Mm -hmm. And his solution to that was knowledge. Now, I don't think he's wrong. I think some people can get stuck in the knowledge collection phase. They just keep going seminar after seminar, reading book and listening to podcasts, you know, but I do believe that knowledge is key, especially when, when it helps people visualize something. It's hard for someone to believe something's possible when all they see is darkness, a fog in front of them, right? If someone can shine a light and they see kind of the, the blueprint, the path to something, if they can see something working, then it changes and for many people allows them uh, to believe that they can do something.
1: Activity is not the same as progress. I love when he said, go do something. You heard it over and over. Go do something. Don't read your book. Don't listen to any other podcast except Michael's. But after that, go out and do something. Absolutely. The other thing I really loved about what uh, he said was how much of his underwriting now is dependent upon cash flow right? He said, we are not going to underwrite our deals and let our returns be required by something we don't control. There's, the, the, there's our, we, we want forced appreciation. We want to control the value and we're going to say cap rates. Well, if they go up or, you know, if they, we're not going to require our cap rates to go down in order to hit our investors returns. So they're thoughtfully underwriting to cash flow. Um, They're being very conservative. Uh, and I think his investors are in really good hands. Absolutely right. Uh, the thing that I remember also was reflect on your
0: priorities in life and then make them a priority. That's certainly something I learned recently with my heart attack as well while I feel like we're on the same track Drew, that we're helping people become financially free and you're doing a big part in that by being on the podcast but also heading up our mentoring organization and I just feel re-energized in fact I have a higher sense of urgency to get the word out to more people but it is trying to think about it forces you to think about what's what's uh, what's a priority for you in life. And then you make those things a priority. It's just very, and sometimes we don't, we just work on the urgent things that aren't as important. So that was a key takeaway, as well. So hope you guys found that valuable today in interview with David Camaro, super smart, uh, super motivated. And now he's inspired and hope you were inspired by what he has done. Again, if you're interested in mentoring, check us out at the michaelblank.com forward slash mentor, we did talk a lot about uh, passive investing. So if you're interested in investing passively with us, encourage you to check us out we're at nighthawkequity.com check us out and uh, click on the join button you can join our investment club fill out a short form and then schedule a call with us we'd love to have a conversation with you about one of our upcoming opportunities so with that thank you so much get you guys next episode
1: thanks for listening to the apartment building investing podcast with michael block for more free podcasts articles and videos go to themichaelblanc.com there, you can also download the free ebook The Secret to Raising Money to Buy Your First Apartment Building. Till next time.